Hello, hello. I am Ashley Caudill, Senior Instructional Designer at the School of Education and Human Development at the University of Virginia, and welcome to Designed for Online. In this podcast, we will discuss hot topics around online teaching and learning. We will be posting new episodes the first and third Tuesday of every month, so be sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out. The shift to emergency remote teaching brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic had a tremendous impact on teachers, students, staff, and other members of the community. While these changes were made under very challenging circumstances, they nonetheless prompted many faculty to consider new strategies for planning instruction, presenting content, communicating with students, and evaluating their work. Having implemented so many changes in a short amount of time, we are now in a position to ask how effective they were. What have we learned from this experience? As we return to the classroom this semester, we may also wish to consider whether we might continue to employ some of these strategies and practices that we may have initially adopted in response to the challenge of emergency remote teaching. In a recent study, faculty reported on pursuing a culture of care through two strategies. The first, simplifying their curriculum, and the second, supporting student needs with higher than normal flexibility to meet course goals. The combination of these key concepts allowed faculty to develop resilience during their emergency shift to remote learning and resulted in higher perceived levels of student engagement. Findings such as these seem to suggest that there may be takeaways from the shift to emergency remote teaching that may prove beneficial in our return to the classroom. In this episode, we're going to hear from two faculty from the University of Virginia and their experiences being a traditional face-to-face teacher having to switch to emergency remote teaching during the pandemic, and then their experience being back in the classroom, being a face-to-face instructor again. Tune in as they talk about their biggest challenges and also what they've learned from their remote teaching experience and how that's informed their current teaching practices. Hello, everyone. I am here today with Melissa Levy and Jessamine Manson, who are both faculty members at the University of Virginia. And we're going to talk about their experiences having to switch teaching modalities, not once, but twice during the COVID-19 pandemic. So welcome, Melissa and Jessamine. Would you please quickly introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, I'll go first. My name is Melissa Levy, and I am a faculty member in the Youth and Social Innovation major at the School of Education and Human Development. Youth and Social Innovation, or YFI for short, is a major for students who are interested in doing work with and or on behalf of youth. Hi, I'm Jessamine Manson. I'm an assistant professor general faculty in the Department of Biology over in the College of Arts and Sciences. I'm also the director of undergraduate programs for the biology major. Thank you guys so much. And thank you again so much for being with us today. I wanted to start off our conversation talking about your experiences being a faculty member during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think you guys both have an interesting experience because you were primarily face-to-face instructors who had to quickly switch to remote teaching during the peak of the pandemic. And then now you had to switch gears again, now that the world is kind of opening back up in a way to offer face-to-face instruction for your students. 
which I'm sure was pretty stressful time, but I'm wondering if it revealed anything about your students or your own teaching practices. Did this experience, did anything come out or did anything surprise you? I think one thing that surprised me, and honestly, I just hadn't really given it much thought since I'd always been a face-to-face -face instructor and had no plans to be anything other than a face-to-face -face instructor, was that there were some pedagogical aims that um, could potentially be better met in an online environment. On the flip side, I, and I don't know that this was a, so much a new revelation as much as it, it highlighted it for me, is how much I appreciate getting to interact with students in person and walk around the room to engage with individuals and student groups, which was something that I missed while we were online and now I'm appreciating again being back in person. Yeah, I would totally agree with Melissa. There were a few things that um, sort of came about by necessity that have now revealed themselves to be really important tools or, or new and interesting ways to kind of go about teaching that I, I wouldn't have tried if I hadn't been forced into an online environment. Um, and so that's been positive and I've, I've maintained a few of those things. When you can't do something hands-on or in person, you have to step back and say, what are my pedagogical goals? Um, and so certainly it was an opportunity for reflection that I think is still ongoing. It was, it was hugely challenging and it was really interesting to see what became core and what became peripheral as well. And I think that it was a really big time of reflection. And I think that's a really great point because a lot of times us as instructors and even instructional designers, we sometimes are thinking of here's how the class has been taught before. This is how it's always been taught. But going to online really forced a lot of instructors to say, well, what are my learning objectives? What are my goals? And do I need to cater certain instructional technologies or cater my class to make sure that we're meeting those goals. So I think a lot of instructors had a great time of reflection and we had a lot of redesigns of a lot of courses and instructors were saying that they got great um, engagement from all of the new um, tools that they used or just different ways to present the content. Um, so with that in mind, um, we're talking about adapting your courses to be remote teaching. So what did you change in regards to your instructional practices to help foster engagement or maintain student motivation, which I know was really hard um, for our students when they were used to being face-to-face -face and switching online? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. Certainly one of the big things that I've kept is the switch to um, online office hours, which was a really um, interesting shift. I didn't know it would work. And actually, in many ways, I find it works better. Part of that working better is a convenience element for students. You know, they can join office hours from wherever. But actually, I think one of the reasons it's an effective tool that helped with remote teaching was what we're seeing right now on our Zoom screen, and that is um, names on the bottom of screens. I teach very large classes. One of my classes has over 800 students in it. Oh, I'm really wow. challenged by having to know my students' names. However, in a Zoom room, I have their name on the screen, and we can have a much more one-on-one uh, -on -one conversation that feels a lot more personal and a lot more um, interactive. I also found that to be the case last semester or last year. And yet I returned completely to in-person office hours this semester because I also was missing those in-person encounters. And I, I think that probably next semester I'll split it and do half in-person and half online. So I've, I've been thinking about that piece as well. 
a couple of things that I used in the online setting and that I'm also continuing to use now. One is the organization of my learning management system site, my Canvas site is much more elaborate <laughs> than it was when I was teaching in person. And Ashley and her team made that very doable for me. So I really like having much better organization and much more information on the Canvas site. So I'm keeping that. I think that's been really useful. I got lots of positive feedback from students last year about how helpful it was to their staying on track with work. And then another tool that I used constantly during my online classes and have just used a little bit now and I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate it and to what extent to incorporate our editable Google slides for group work. I found that really a useful pedagogical tool when we were in virtual classrooms. I think those are really great um, examples of just how you could adapt what you were doing when the remote teaching was happening and how you have then taken some of those strategies when we've returned to a face-to-face -face environment. And so a question I have for you guys is, did you feel like virtual office hours were more heavily used than when you had in-person office hours? I, I think, Ashley, you make a really good point. It was differently used in a virtual environment, and that's exactly what I saw. I would, I would find that I had students who would take my office hours and use that as their study time, and then when things weren't making sense, they'd jump into the office hours for five minutes and ask that question. And I know, Melissa, you said you were thinking of doing the half and half, half virtual, half in person. Jessamine, are you doing, I think you said you were continuing to virtual. Are you going to offer this half and half? Great question. Right now, I've, I think it's a really good idea. I think the limiting factor, it comes back down to space. So we are still really space challenged, particularly when we want to provide opportunities for social distancing and with big classes. You know, if we can resolve some of our space issues, maybe book larger rooms, we might move back. And certainly I always offer the option of um, in-person appointments if there's something that someone wants to talk about. But um, I have to admit, so far, Zoom, Zoom office hours have been sort of a, a surprisingly productive new thing. You brought up a point that space can be an issue when we are still having to social distance. How have you guys been accommodating? Because obviously we're still in the pandemic and we still have students and even instructors that are getting sick. So how do you as instructors, how can you accommodate students that may not be able to physically be back in your class, but still want to not miss out on that classroom instruction time? Because I feel like that would be really hard to try to manage and navigate. It is. <laughs> I, will, I will start there. I have had students who have needed to be not in the class because of, of quarantining and figuring out how to have them participate has been a little tricky. My classes are very activity and discussion based and small group discussion based. So that's been a little bit tricky at really being able to fully integrate students who aren't in the physical space into my classes. And so at present, I just try to be very accommodating and supportive of individual students who need to be not in the classroom to help provide some of the materials online and to encourage them to check in with their classmates and they can also check in with me to see what it is that they're missing. Yeah, I think Melissa makes an excellent point. One of the big sort of 
things that we've embraced coming back to in-person teaching is being able to get back to our active learning practices. And same, I have the same challenge where we do a lot of group discussions and in-class activities, and that's what we missed being online. We were able to kind of do them in a Zoom room, breakout room style that was okay, but you know, we were missing out on some of those important interactions. Yeah. And I think, I think it makes perfect sense that there are so many challenges, but it sounds like even though that we have these students that may not physically be able to be in the class, they still get to hear from you and you have a presence with them. And so my next question to you is regarding your instructor presence. And so how did you take steps to establish and maintain presence as an instructor when your course had to switch to online? And have you continued to use those practices when you return physically to the classroom? I know we had virtual office hours that we talked about, but were there any other types of different practices that you've done to ensure that you maintain that presence? I think the virtual office hours, that was probably the number one thing and keeping them consistent. I had the same times every week. I wanted to make sure that students could count on a face-to-face, even though it was online, interaction if they were looking for that or had a question to ask. The other thing that I did, which I don't think is terribly different from what I did before and what I do now, and is something actually I need to figure out how to how to manage better is being responsive and generally quite responsive to student communications, which felt really important to me, particularly as we started off the 2020-2021 school year, because I was imagining that students felt like they were just kind of unanchored a bit. And I wanted to make sure that even though they weren't seeing an actual person in a physical space, that there they recognized that there was an actual human who was being responsive to their questions and their concerns. I think the one other thing other than the Zoom office hours that I did is in some of my smaller classes, I've always sort of suggested one-on-one meetings for say large assignments. I was much more, I don't think I required them, but I was much more strong in my wording. We should meet in person. And so in a small class, I was able to have um, scheduled one-on-one meetings and, and ensure that students really did feel like they were on track. And I was impressed by how much better my students were at keeping on track last year. Um, and whether that was the one-on-one, you know, in meetings or whether that was students having more time on their hands, but it was wonderful to see that some of those um, interactions seemed to really lead to success at the end of the course. Well, that's so wonderful to hear. And I always enjoy when instructors are talking about how great that they have connections with their students and things like that. Um, But as much as it kills me, we are going to take a pause (laughs) right here. um, So our listeners can have a little bit of what we call a brain break. And then when we come back, we are going to talk about Melissa and Jessamine's biggest challenges as instructors in switching teaching modalities and whether or not their shift to online changed the type of work they assign to their students. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I hope you are enjoying the conversation. I wanted to take a moment to give you a little bit of a brain break by presenting this episode's trivia question. What was the first toy to be advertised on television? Curious what the answer is? Be sure to tune into our next episode to find out. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed your brain break. 
As promised, we're going to jump right back in and discuss two topics that I personally have been wondering about since the start of the pandemic. So I'm really excited to hear both of your responses to these two questions. So the first one is, did the shift to online instruction have any effect on the type of work that you assigned to your students? And did it change your approach to evaluating and assessing student work? That is such a good question, Ashley. And the answer is absolutely. Um, again, we spoke earlier about sort of the pandemic forcing some reflection. And this is one of those great opportunities to force reflection. Um, I'm gonna use one particular example, but in one of my classes, we've historically done presentations and presentations have a really important role to play um, in instruction. You know, it's all about communication and it's all about you know con being concise and, and clear. And it's a really hard thing to do online. Um, and so we shifted um, one of our major assignments from presentations to video and you know, provided students with an opportunity to be a bit more creative, uh, provided them with an opportunity to kind of uh, think things through in a different format. Um, and, and that was hugely successful. It was also successful from the um, not just the deliverer of that video, but the audience members who then, um, I, I've always found that sitting through pr presentations can be tough for a class, sitting through short videos can be really fun. And so using a new uh, mode of sort of a similar idea, but a new mode of delivery was huge. Paired with that, something that was really critical, and um, I didn't mention earlier, is that pandemic teaching and pandemic assignments have forced me to be a lot more clear in my grading rubrics. When I wasn't seeing my students in person, I needed to be very sure that they understood expectations for assignments. And so that has been a huge shift, something I'd been needing to do for a long time, but just trying to provide them with a lot more guidance. Um, and I think that that's definitely a tool I've, I've brought with me, brought forward. And also the flexibility in those assessments. I think that was a really big key too. We went from sort of very rigid, at least I went from fairly rigid assessments to a lot more room and flexibility. I had a similar experience with moving one particular assignment that was a big presentation to video form. And this semester I'm teaching that class again. And I've appreciate the flexibility time-wise that assigning a video as a final product for this particular project has over in-class presentations. Yet at the same time, I felt as though the one piece that was missing was we had built in opportunities for students to practice presenting before they did their final presentations. So, and I'll see how this works. I've built in practice presentations for students where they're getting feedback, but their final product will still be a video that people will be able to watch then. Another way that I changed what I assigned and how I assessed was giving me kind of a different view on seat time. And I think this has really exploded, rightfully so. And it was something people are already talking about but it really forced our hands as far as thinking about you need to be sitting in this seat for this many hours each week for this many weeks to equal three credits of learning <laughs> or whatever, course credit. Um, so one of my classes, I with a lot of prep and scaffolding early in the semester, I ended up removing some of it in the synchronous courses to being group discussions where groups that were established 
would choose, they could do it during the regularly scheduled time or another time, have their group discussions with scaffolded instructions, clear steps for what they needed to do, and then a product at the end of that discussion, which was a discussion post then. So there was some accountability. And so the rest of the class groups would have an opportunity to see what the students wrote as well. So that's something that I shifted to and that I'm keeping this semester in that same class um, where we're not meeting in person for several of the classes as a full class. And instead they have this, these assigned tasks and discussion to have as a group and a discussion post. So that's something else that I did. Um, I think that probably covered, I was trying to decide. I also added in another one of my courses, I better utilized the learning management system canvas to create reading checks for students to help them both in holding them accountable in some sense for doing the, the assigned reading and also helping direct them to what the important content is from the reading. I love that idea of reading checks. I don't have a lot of faculty that do that because we have a lot of faculty that assign all the readings and then a lot of students are like, what am I supposed to take away from this? Am I getting what I'm supposed to be getting out of it? So I'm sure that's really helpful for your students to be able to really make sure that they're guiding the reading and understanding the concepts as you want them to. For your video-based assignments or the ones that had switched from presentation to be a video, do you have any like people that are doing super creative types of videos? Do you have like music videos or like crazy stuff? What's the most creative video that you've seen your students do? Yeah, we had some interesting ones. Um, most of them were traditional and that was fine, sort of recorded PowerPoints. And, and that certainly, you know, when done well, that is a hugely effective tool. I had a few students do animations, which was really neat. Um, some of them using software and some of them quite literally with little, um, you know, figurines on, on pens and pencils, um, like diorama style. I and love that. Honest, they were extremely effective and engaging. And so, and that was one of the freedoms that we had going away from, nope, you're gonna have your PowerPoint slides, you know, this is what we're doing. As long as the content was there. And I, I also, I should say, um, and Melissa, I don't know if you found this, I, I had the students shift who their audience was for these video presentations. So when we did them in a traditional format in class, the audience were your, your peers who have a significant amount of knowledge on the topic, I shifted towards a more, think of this as a citizen, you know, an outreach video, a citizen science type of approach. How would you explain the work that you've been talking to to someone who has less background and um, sort of make it more engaging to a broader audience? And I think that that helped contribute to some cool videos. I love that, Justin. I might have to see if I can see some of your videos. I did have, I did have one group in a class do this great entertaining music video. I always love giving students the opportunity to break outside of the traditional presentation and just be as creative as possible. So my last question I have for you guys, what was the biggest challenge you had in switching to online instruction and how has that experience affected your teaching as you've returned to the classroom this semester? I think for me it was relationship building and keeping the energy up in the absence of 3D people. Mm -hmm. I think everyone heard about, and there might be arguments for why this was a phenomenon, but Zoom fatigue, everyone was just so, got so tired and depleted. And so I think for me, that was, that was the hardest piece I do find. And even in the online environment, I found this too, that 
the students are a large source of the energy for me doing this work, doing this, my job. As far as how it's affected my teaching as I've returned to the classroom, part of it is there was certainly an initial feeling of appreciation that I saw in the students as well. There was a lot of excitement and they're getting to see each other, though I'm certain I'm certain different people have had different challenges with that. So I've been trying to appreciate having that back, that energy, and at the same time, recognizing that perhaps there's room for not everything taking that same, in the same physical space format. So that's, that's where my thinking is at the moment. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Melissa, the energy component, the feedback component, um, one of the biggest, I mean, it's a challenging thing when you have a large class to, to sort of get feedback anyways, but you watch for the head nods, you watch for the, you know, visual cues and um, for lots of good reasons, we weren't getting those, you know, during online teaching and without those visual cues, as, as the instructor, as the student too, but as the instructor, it becomes hard to tell whether you're, are, are, is everyone following along? Is everyone understanding? Have I left them in the dark? That was really challenging. So it's been lovely to come back. It's, it's still really challenging to be in the classroom though right now. Um, I've had a couple colleagues say, oh my gosh, everyone seems like they're getting it. And I can tell. And I said, I'm still having trouble reading faces. We're, we're still mid-pandemic. We're still masked. People are still anxious. Um, I asked for feedback before our first midterm recently, and only 60% of my class felt comfortable taking a midterm in my class, you know, sitting in the physical classroom. Now, some of that may have been more preference than comfort, but um, it really opened my eyes to the fact that our students are still really challenged right now and really you know, dealing with conflicting emotions. I think they're loving being in person and I think they're anxious about being in person, just like we are. And that's been personally, but also sort of uh, professionally challenging to watch students deal with those struggles. I have a lot of respect for the students who are pushing through, but being responsible and pushing through, right? My students have learned that, you know, they need to put themselves in their health first. They need to think about their peers. And I think that's something that actually we didn't see a lot of pre-pandemic that we're seeing mid-pandemic is students recognizing that they're part of a community and that if they're not well, that can affect the rest of the community as well. So seeing a lot more um, peer support and peer respect is a really positive thing. It really is. And I want to thank you guys so much for sitting down and having this conversation with me. I think a lot of instructors are going to resonate with everything that you said and just really benefit from our conversation. So thank you guys so much. It's great to have the opportunity, actually, Ashley. I imagine both of you are also experiencing feeling like there's a lot going on right now and it can be hard to make time for something like this or it can feel like it's hard to make time for it and yet it's really rewarding and supporting actually to be able to discuss the work that we're doing and the challenges we're facing when it comes to teaching. Yeah thank you so much for the opportunity to to kind of reflect on this even more it's uh it's always interesting to realize how much through all of the things that we did, we have made some interesting discoveries and, and hopefully we're going to be able to, you know, take some positive out of all of this. I, I, I feel confident that we will. Um, and it's nice to have an opportunity to share some of those ideas. And that concludes this episode for Design for Online. 
I hope you enjoyed listening to Melissa and Jessamine's experiences being face-to-face instructors in the pandemic and how they have adapted some of their teaching practices to cater to their students' needs. I'd love that they were honest in their struggles in returning back to the classroom because I know a lot of instructors who feel the same way. It's hard. I wish I had all of the answers and insight to solve these pedagogical challenges we all seem to be facing, but I don't. So here's the challenge I have for you. I want this to be a learning opportunity for us. So let's all as educators come together and talk about our challenges and give advice to one another and how to alleviate some of these struggles that we are facing in the classroom today. That's my hope for all of us. So please reach out to a fellow educator And let's talk about it. Let's not be scared to talk about what's going on and how we can better cater to our students because that's our overall goal. Let's make sure that we serve our students the most amazing experience that we can, especially in a time of the pandemic when right now everyone is having such a hard time. So that's my challenge to you. If you have an exciting topic you want to hear on future Designed for Online episodes, feel free to email me at ac. 8ga at virginia.edu. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.